This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I'm interviewing Marnie B, who you may remember uh, from episode number 21. Last time I spoke to Marnie, she was about 32 weeks pregnant. And in this episode, we're talking to her five months postpartum. She has so many insights into all the preparations that she did pre-surrogacy and how they played out post-surrogacy. I'm going to hand over now to Marnie. Hi, my name's Marnie and I was a gestational surrogate for my IPs who are in Canberra and I'm in Sydney. And um, yeah, I'm currently five months postpartum and uh, just going to talk a bit about my experience in the last part of the pregnancy and fourth trimester. That's great. So we had a chat on the podcast when you were at about 32 weeks pregnant with baby. And so perhaps this is a bit of a follow-up. If you could tell us what was going on after 32 weeks, what was it like in those last weeks in the birth and after the birth and postpartum? Yeah, so I think when we last spoke, I was probably um, at one of the most comfortable stages of my pregnancy. The morning sickness had gone. I wasn't um, huge and at, you know, as big as I was at the end. Uh, so yeah, towards the end, things did start to get a bit more challenging. I had my, my own two pregnancies for my own kids had always been fairly easy. And um, my surrogacy pregnancy was, was definitely the hardest of uh, my three. Uh, I had a lot more back pain. And towards the end, I really started to just get over it. It was, it was dragging on. I wanted to get back to being able to focus on my family and, and I was just tired and, and everything. So those last few weeks um, were definitely uh, a bit of a challenge and I was most, most definitely looking forward to uh, the birth and, and getting what I thought my old life would be like back. Um, so yeah, so I made it to almost full, almost full term, almost 40 weeks. Um, the difference with this pregnancy was that, um, so with my, with my previous pregnancies, they had been fairly easy. Even up to the end, I was still fairly comfortable. I wasn't uh, what I felt was huge. I wasn't in a lot of pain or anything like that. Uh, this pregnancy, I was definitely feeling the, um, the last stage of it. I wasn't necessarily bigger than I had been previously, but I think being a bit older than I had been, also having young children running around just made things a lot harder. We had, being a long distance relationship, we had discussed with uh, our IPs when they would come to Sydney. So being a surrogate, obviously one of the most important things for me was to have my IPs there at the birth. And I would have been really upset if they had missed it. My previous births had been fairly quick when they started. And so we had, we made plans for them to come up about two weeks before um, our due date. And my, I am, my intended mother came up a couple of weeks before and my intended father came up about 10 days before our due date and we really we actually thought the whole way along i was going to go before my due date so then we had to we had a, we actually had a waiting period of about a week up to 10 days waiting for this labor to eventually happen uh, and i had been telling them the whole time along that you know i have certain markers for when i'm going to go into labor and it was the same with my two kids and i expected to be the same this time but it wasn't so uh, I started, I think it was a Sunday evening, I started having what I thought were contractions. And um, we called, my IPs were in Sydney and we called them, I think they'd come over for dinner and we, I sort of said at the end of dinner, I think I'm actually having contractions. I think 
you know, something may happen tonight. And they're like, great, great, you know, let us know what happens. They actually went back to the place they were staying at. And uh, the contractions was kept on going for a few hours that night and then stopped. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, and so that was the Sunday night. So the Monday night, the same thing happened again. And I started having these contractions and I'd never, this is pre-labor, I'd never experienced pre-labor before. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is it. You know, when I start having contractions, they, they start, they keep going. And again, they stopped. And I was like, okay. The same thing happened the following night. And again, they stopped. So I had three, three days of pre-labor, which I'd never experienced before. And that in itself um, really affected my headspace. I think had it um, been my own pregnancy, I would have just gone with the flow. But because I had in the back of my head the whole time that I, that I had this other couple that were um, relying on me to tell them when it was going to be the time, that actually, I think, made things a lot more challenging. Um, so come the Wednesday night, we'd now, I'd had three nights of pre-labor, the same thing happened. The Wednesday afternoon, the contractions started. And again, you know, I thought they did feel different. I thought, this is it, this is it. So we called, we actually called my IPs and they came over and I said, you know, I think this is, you need to stay tonight. This, I think we're going to have a baby tonight. And um, we had dinner, we sat down. I remember we were watching the block. I was ironing, trying to take my mind off it. Every time I had a contraction, I could see um, my IPs would look at me like, is it like, is that a contraction? I'd be like, yeah, I think so. And as the night wore on, I could tell that they were um, getting less and less. And I was feeling worse about it. And eventually, I think it was probably about nine o'clock at night, I just said to my husband and my IPs, I'm going to go to bed. Um, I just need some rest. And I actually went upstairs and promptly burst into tears. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it was just all the pressure of the whole pregnancy saying to my IPs, I have fast labours. When I start labour, the baby will be out in hours. Like, you know, you need to be in Sydney. It's, this is going to happen. Um, and, yeah, it was just, I felt, I actually felt like a failure. I actually felt like a fraud, like I led them along saying, this is how it's going to happen. And it wasn't happening the way that I had told them. And, you know, I felt the pressure, not that they not that they were knowingly putting pressure on me. I wouldn't say they were putting pressure on me, but I was putting pressure on myself thinking that they were looking to me to be able to tell them what's going to happen. And I just didn't know for the first time of my three pregnancies, I didn't know when I was going to go into labor. Um, so my husband found me half an hour later and I sort of explained to him how I was feeling. And I think he went downstairs and spoke to my intended father and my intended mother and, and of course they were fine. You know, they just wanted me to be okay. And so we all went to bed and sure enough at two o'clock, I woke up with contractions and I lay in bed for a little bit and thought, is this or isn't it? Got up, sort of walked around the house for about an hour. And then after about an hour, we actually woke um, my intended parents or our intended parents and said, look, we think this is it. Um, let's, you know, let's give it a little bit and then I'll call the midwife and we might head to the hospital. And so we did that. We ended up uh, about three o'clock calling or 3.30 calling the midwife. And she, she said, yep, okay, let's get into hospital. You know, your labours are fast. Um, it was great because I really didn't want to be driving to hospital in peak hour in Sydney traffic. So, you know, 4 a.m. was a good time to be driving. So we drove to the hospital and I was still getting regular contractions. Uh, I generally labour pretty well. I, I generally don't um, have 
um, really intense contractions. Uh, so we got there and, and by this stage, I think it was about four o'clock, 4.30. And I remember thinking the baby's going to be here by 7am. Like we'll, we'll have a baby before the sun rises. This is going to be like my others. Anyway, 7am came and I'm still having contractions that weren't particularly close together. They weren't particularly strong. And I'm watching the clock and I'm thinking, okay, this labor's now been longer than my, my son's, which was my fastest labor. 8.30 came and I'm still sort of having these on and off contractions. I didn't know at the time, but the actual midwives, the public midwives at the public hospital were actually telling my private midwife that I should be going home, that I shouldn't be here because I'm not, in, I'm not about to have a baby. Um, thankfully, she didn't tell me that. So um, she kept that to herself. Um, and then about nine o'clock, I think my waters broke and things started to get more intense then and things started to ramp up. Um, and, I, and I thought, okay, this is going to happen quickly. But come 10 o'clock, there was still no baby. And this was now my, this was now going to be my longest labor out of my three. And I, so it, I, I was actually, unfortunately, getting into a bit of a, a slump, a bit of a bad headspace. It wasn't, you know, the labor I thought it was going to be. And I kind of felt that I was letting everyone else there down. I was looking around the room and I could see my IPs sort of, sitting there, not that they were saying anything to me, but I could, I felt that they were thinking, when is this going to happen? We had a birth photographer sitting there who was now asleep on the floor. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm wasting her time. So all this was going through my head about worrying about everyone else and not, instead of focusing on myself. And so in the end, um, my midwife actually sent everyone out of the room because she told me later that she actually thinks the labor was stalling because I was too concerned about everyone else and not focusing on myself. Um, so she sent everyone else out of the room for a bit and just left my husband and I. And that, that actually did help things start to get moving. And um, then when, then I, went, I actually think I got an urge to push. And so we called everyone back in and I'm like, I think I've got to push. And so at that stage, we'd, we hadn't planned a water birth, but we had planned um, to, to get into the bath to help with pain relief. So I, got, I ended up, I decided to get in the bath. I had this weird um, sort of moment with my husband. We went into the bathroom. It was just my husband and I. And up until this stage, I'd been wearing a long, it was middle of winter, a long sleeve top and leggings. And I remember looking at my husband and going, I've actually got to get my clothes off. And this is the moment <laughs> where my IPs are actually going to see me in nothing, basically. <laughs> so I remember it was like a weird moment. And my husband's like, well, we can't turn around now. We can't, this is going to happen. I was like, okay. So I just, yeah. So I just had like a crop top on basically and just got in the bath and was kneeling in the bath. So when they came in, they literally couldn't see anything. Um, and after that, you know, I kind of, all modesty went out the window. <laughs> so, you know, you're in the throes of labor. You really don't care who's there and who isn't. Um, so yeah, so I labored in the bath for about an hour um, but eventually things did get to the point where we got to the pointy end and, and um, yeah, I remember looking at my IM and saying, I don't think I can get out of the bath. Are you okay if I stay here? And she was like, whatever, you know, whatever's best for you. So it was really lovely. So she was there. She was actually pouring water on my back and my intended father was, um, you know, there offering words of support and stuff. And my husband was right at my head and just telling me it was going to be okay. 
And I had two beautiful private midwives who were just amazing and just kept everyone calm and just, yeah, it was, so that was, that was really great. And um, Sienna was born in, in the water. Um, so she was a little water baby and uh, I was, she was passed up to me onto my chest. And um, yeah, so I, I was, I actually caught her and I held her. Um, we had just uh, going back a bit, we had had a conversation previously about who would hold Sienna first. Um, and originally I didn't think I felt any sort of need to be the first one to hold her. I thought, you know, I would be fine if my IPs wanted to catch her. But as the pregnancy went on, I kind of felt that it would be best for her and best for me if I actually caught her and had her land on me. And so she could sort of um, get over the, the trauma of birth, knowing, hearing my voice and knowing the voice that she knew best before handing her over. Uh, and so we, my IM actually came to me because we had sort of discussed this in one of our midwife appointments and sort of said, um, you know, I would, I would love to hold her and I will want, that's all I want to do when she comes out. But I, I do think it's best for everyone if, if you catch her first, which is really lovely because I had really been agonising over that, like that moment, whether or not I would ever regret not being the ones to hand her to my IPs. So when she was born, she was, I was kneeling. So she was on my front and then um, I actually turned over and so I was lying in the bath. So she was on my chest and uh, it was really lovely. She, she was really calm. She just was sort of sitting there looking at everyone. Um, and it was just a really lovely moment for the four of us. And I think everyone was pretty emotional. And then um, after, I held it for about 15 minutes. Um, and eventually what happened is I started to have a bit of, postpartum hemorrhage, which um, I'm told is not uncommon for surrogates. Uh, so eventually the midwife said, look, we've got to get you out of the bath. So the cord was cut and I handed her over to her intended parents. They sort of took her out into the room and gave her a first feed and, and everything. And she was weighed and everything. And my, my midwife sort of looked after me and um, yeah, physically I, besides I had a bit of a hemorrhage, but once the placenta was out, that was all good. Physically, I was great. It was, I actually came through the birth better than I had my previous births. So that was, that was good. And I think the water actually helped that a bit. Uh, that night, my intended mother and I, and baby Sienna, uh, we all roomed in together. It was something our counselor actually recommended us doing, that, the, that um, my intended mother and I and, and the baby room in together which was interesting because uh, I didn't actually feel sort of, I didn't feel any connection with Sienna. Like I didn't feel she was my baby. And so I just sort of left it up to her mum to look after her. Um, but I, but there were times during the night where I sort of felt when she was a bit unsettled, I was like, Oh gosh, you know, I had this urge to sort of want to feed her. And I think that was just a maternal thing. Um, I didn't, her, her mother fed her um, through, or syringe fed her. Um, but yeah, it, it was good. It was really good to spend that night, just the three of us together. So we spent one night in hospital and um, the following day we, we sort of went our separate ways and I wasn't feeling too bad. Um, I sort of, yeah, I wasn't feeling too bad. I was feeling, I was feeling tired, a little bit weak, but I was, I was feeling pretty good. Emotionally, I was feeling pretty good. 
Uh, and um, it was funny, my husband and I, he was like, I'll take you home. I was like, no, 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 we need to go shopping because for nine months I hadn't been able to eat things like salami and sushi and all these things. And so literally we went straight to Coles and we're standing at the deli counter and I happened to look at the time on my phone and it was 24 hours exactly to since I birthed Sienna. And I'm standing at the Coles deli counter going, I'll have that salami and I'll have that ham and I'll have that, all this stuff that I couldn't have for nine months. So, um, yeah, physically I, I recovered pretty well. Um, so, yeah, so after the birth, my IP stayed in Sydney for a week. Uh, we caught up with them every day. Uh, the private midwife actually came to my house every day. So Sienna was, had to come to our place every day uh, to be checked over as well. And that was pretty good. I, I, um, yeah, it was interesting. It was like my body recognized her, but I actually didn't feel that maternal connection, which is really quite bizarre. Uh, but my midwife would say when I held her, it was like, she could, it was like, well, one, like it was really, really strange that my body actually recognized her, but mentally I didn't recognize her as my baby. So it was, it was quite interesting. Um, so yeah, so they were in Sydney for about a week after after she was born. Um, during that time, I was very conscious of them of them not I wasn't conscious of them wanting to get back to Canberra, but I felt that I needed to let them go back to Canberra, that they needed to start building their life together. And I think in hindsight, it probably would have been better for my emotional recovery if they could have stayed in Sydney a bit longer. Um, but I certainly, it wasn't a thing that I wanted them to stay and they wanted them to go. I was, I was pushing, I, I wanted them to go, but I think in hindsight, it was, it would have been better for me to wean off Sienna over a couple of weeks instead of just one week of seeing her every day and then nothing for two weeks. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so that was sort of the first, that was sort of like the birth and the first week after. Um, so yeah, that was. That's amazing. I'm really <laughs> interested in what you say about your body feeling like it needed to feed her, because I think I remember feeling like that with Darcy, that when she cried, I felt like, oh, well, I should feed her. There's a baby yeah. and it's feeding and that's the baby I birthed. And then having to catch myself and go, Oh no, wait, there's somebody else that's beating her. I don't need to do that. But my body yeah. was responding. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. And I do wonder, um, I mean, Sienna obviously knew I was in the room and I do wonder if she was more unsettled because that first night she was very unsettled. And I remember thinking, Oh my goodness, my babies weren't like this. And you know, my intended mother was amazing. And I remember saying to her, you are a natural. She, she was doing her instincts were amazing watching her. She knew exactly what to do. The midwives kept, not my private midwives, the midwives kept on coming in and saying, you can't do that, you can't do that. And I'm just saying to her, you do what you need to do because you're doing, like she was amazing. Um, you know, the midwives wanted the baby to be in the cot, whereas she wanted the baby on her, which is what, and every time she put the baby on her, she stopped crying. And every time the baby went back in the cot, she started crying. Um, but yeah, it was really weird. I had this, this sort of urge to just, to want to feed her. Like I kept on thinking if I could put her on the boob, she would be fine. But of course that's just my maternal instincts sort of going, cause that's what, if it was your, your baby, that's what you would do. Yes. And, um, but yeah, my intended mother was 
I was really, I, I was amazed at how um, her instincts, like just, yeah. And I knew then that she would be great and that Sienna would be, you know, not that I ever, I was never sort of worried that they wouldn't know what to do, but yeah, it was just, she actually went above what I would expect a new mum to be like. So, um, and isn't that really lovely for intended parents to hear, I think, because particularly for intended mums, they haven't carried the baby. Their body doesn't sort of respond the way a surrogate's body does uh, when a baby's born. So, but, you know, they can still actually be amazing parents without even having carried the baby. It sounds, yeah. you know, that's lovely. Yeah, and I think, you know, being adopted myself, um, you know, my mum didn't carry me. She she met me when I was five weeks old and she's the most amazing mother. I don't think um, carrying a baby makes you a better mother and not carrying a baby means you aren't going to be have those maternal instincts. Um, I could see it with my IM that her maternal instincts just kicked in and, and she knew, she, you, she knew what to do. Um, what I found really affirming further down the track was actually seeing the surrogacy baby that I birthed responding to her dad's like, for example, when they leave the room, she looks for them. She, do, she gets yeah. a bit anxious when they've left the room, which is completely normal for a baby her age. But I find that really affirming. I'm like, well, she's looking for the people that she has a primary attachment to. That's exactly as we intended it. It would be a bit strange if she was looking for me like that because she doesn't know me the way that she knows her dad's. And she's got yeah. the attachment exactly where she should have it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I felt, I actually felt emotionally quite good for the first couple of days and then um you know that fourth trimester is a real roller coaster and and up until i'd had sienna most of the store most of the experiences i'd heard from other surrogates that had birthed babies before me were um how amazing it was how you would just get all these warm and fuzzies and and stuff like that and and it would just be amazing and um yeah you would just be on this total high about about what you've done um and so you know i was kind of expecting that and this the sienna's pregnancy was my most challenging but at the end you know i kept on saying to myself it'll all be worth it it'll all be worth it uh you know it's that moment where i get to hand that baby to her parents and i'm going to feel this amazing rush of i don't know of, of warm and fuzzies yeah it was interesting because i think when I did, when I, that moment when I did hand her to her parents was good, but at the same time, I'm hemorrhaging, I'm exhausted from being in labour. It was kind of like I really couldn't focus on it. We were very fortunate that we had a birth photographer and I would really highly recommend surrogate teams to have a birth photographer because I don't remember my IP's expressions. I don't remember my husband. Um, you know, we've got some amazing photos of Sienna just born and my, the look on my eye, my intended mother's face. Um, we, my husband also read up videos. We actually have the last hour of her labor in the first half hour after she was born. That's been great. That's really good for me. Cause I, that whole part of it is just hazy. And there's a lovely moment, which I don't remember, is just after Sienna's born, my IM hugged me and I'm going to get emotional. And, um, you know, she just said, thank you so much. And, yeah, and I don't remember. If I didn't have that video and if I didn't have those photos, I wouldn't remember that. And I really, 
that fourth trimester was really, and even now I'm sort of almost five months postpartum, it's really important to be able to go back and look at that because um, I haven't actually got those warm and fuzzies mm. from doing it. But that sort of helps me to sort of um, go, okay, yeah, you know, my IPs do like really appreciate what I've done and they were, um, you know, I could see their expressions and I could see how emotional they were. So for my memories, it's actually really important. It's, I'm so glad that we had the birth photographer and that my husband actually videoed it from, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's I, I don't think that birth photography for a surrogacy birth can be um, understated. I think it's yeah. amazing. And I'm so glad that we had a photographer for the same reasons. And what I remember is that I was looking at the baby so much and the photos were of all of us and not just the baby. You know, I was, yeah. I was soaking her in. Yeah. So I can look back at the photos and see what everyone else was doing. It's yeah, yeah. amazing. Puts all yeah. the jigsaw pieces back together. Yeah, I would strongly recommend any teams to get a birth photographer. And, you know, I think it's worth that most of those, those photos will basically be your surrogate's memories because labour is labour and it doesn't matter. You know, my labour wasn't particularly intense, but you're exhausted and, you know, you really can't take it in. And I think even my, my intended parents, you know, that they've got the photos, that they can look back on it and, and stuff like that. Um, so it also yeah, tells so, a story for the, for the child one day that yeah. they can actually see the entire story there in pictures. Yeah, we, I mean, we've got a video of my son being born, and which is my second. Unfortunately, we don't have it for my daughter. But, you know, my children watched that video and, you know, asked questions. And my daughter, she hasn't recently, but she went through a period there where she wanted to watch it over and over again. What were those yeah. next few weeks like after they'd gone home and, and you were, you know, trying to get back to what was normal? Yeah, I had sort of, I don't know why, I had in my head... Um, because we had done a lot of prep leading up to surrogacy and I had had contact with my counsellor all the way through, I kind of thought that it would, I wouldn't say those that sort of first few months afterwards more challenging than I thought it would be, but it was very different. The challenges I had, I never envisaged. So I thought I would have challenges over handing a baby that I'd birth to other people to raise and I actually never never regretted that I never wanted Sienna I never wanted to raise even after she was born I never wanted to raise her or anything like that so I didn't yeah I, I never had that challenge where I'd think that's my baby and I want her back I never for a second thought that but I definitely I it was a roller coaster and it's it that Fourth trimester was by far and away the most challenging stage of my entire journey. Um, so, you know, you do all this counselling and it is true that um, you will never, you know, you'll never want that baby. Uh, I, I haven't heard of a surrogate in Australia who has ever said, I want the baby back. Um, you know, you, your, your mind, your conscious knows that that's not your baby your subconscious hasn't always got the memo. So, and your body hasn't always got the memo. So um, I do remember there was the first couple of days I was okay. And then um, I do actually, I do remember that the morning after I came home from hospital, 
I came downstairs and my children were having their breakfast. My husband was making his coffee. My daughter and my husband were chatting. And I walked into the kitchen and I just burst into tears. And it was like, you know, I, I'd been telling myself, everything will go back to normal. Everything will be fine. I'd been telling my children that towards the end of the pregnancy, you know, I was so tired and so I was really short with them. And I kept on saying, just a few more weeks and then you'll have mummy back. You'll be fine. And, um, yeah, so that morning I came down. It was just like this regular breakfast scene in my house. And I walked in and just burst into tears because the last time I had walked in on that scene, I had been pregnant with Sunny, which is the name we gave Sienna before she was born. And Sunny was no longer with me. And Sunny, it was interesting, my almost immediately my subconscious, I guess, my mind had separated Sunny from Sienna. So Sunny, my body basically mourned the losing of Sunny. And so seeing, you know, I, I would be triggered by, oh, the last time I did this, I, Sunny was with me and Sunny was no longer with me. So it was almost like, um, I guess, I don't want to say, it, it's, it's different because I always knew that I wasn't going to have a baby afterwards, but it's almost like carrying a baby and then right at the end of the pregnancy, the baby, something's happened to the baby and the baby has, is, is not with you. And so I was, I went through this morning, this morning stage of grieving stage of this baby that I carried and this baby not being here. And even though my conscience knew that the baby was never going to be there and the baby that was there in its place, I didn't want, um, my body was still searching for that baby. And so it was a really, really emotional time. Um, I think for the first six weeks, I cried a lot all the time. And it was just, um, you know, things would trigger it. Like I would be, the last time I was here, I was, I, Sunny was with me or whatever. Um, I was checking in with my counsellor regularly. So I talked to her at a week postpartum and I talked to her roughly every month for the first three months. And, you know, she kept on assuring me that you're doing fine. You're not getting stuck in any particular rut. You're actually doing fine. I'm like, I don't feel like I'm fine. Um, and I was experiencing um, sim um, symptoms, I guess, of, of grief. So uh, my mind was not um, functioning as it, as it usually did. So I, was, I, had, I had trouble focusing on more than one thing. I was extremely forgetful people would tell me things and then I wouldn't remember. And I remember I was probably about four weeks postpartum and I was at my daughter's dance class and I was talking to one of the mums there who I knew a little bit and sort of were talking about where we lived. And I said, oh, you live like a street away from me. And she's looking at me strangely and I'm thinking, and I sort of stopped and I said, have we had this conversation before? And she just looked at me and went, yes, we have. And, you know, so things like, yeah, I, you know, I felt at some st some stages I felt like I was going mad because people were saying, we've talked about this. How do you not remember? And it, it felt, my brain sort of felt like sluggish. Like it was like slow. It was so frustrating because I could feel that it wasn't functioning normally, but I couldn't do anything about it. And, and it isn't was that funny because I think, you know, I've heard that baby brain is officially debunked, that it's apparently not a thing. And yet yeah. after I gave birth to Darcy, I found myself wandering into rooms and then thinking, I don't remember why I came into this room. What yeah. was it again? And I found that frustrating because I didn't have a baby to show for why I was all over the place. 
but I struggle yeah. to have any sort of direction. I'd, I'd wander yeah. off somewhere and forget why I was there. And, you know, even doing something like going to the grocery shops, that was it for the day. That was all my brain could yeah. manage, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt this incredible guilt to my children because I kept on, I had those, especially those last few weeks, I kept on saying to them, once Sonny's born, you'll have your old mummy back. You'll have your, and I wasn't, I was not myself post-pregnancy. Um, um and yeah so it was just really it was really difficult it was really frustrating because i knew that i wasn't functioning and i couldn't i i just couldn't like there was nothing i could do and people don't understand because yeah it's not like i had actually lost a baby the baby wasn't lost the baby who i carried is still with us but yeah i didn't like it was my mind had completely separated the two. And in fact, I actually, I was talking to my counsellor about it and I said, um, yeah, it's split in two. And she sort of stopped and I don't think she had ever come across that before. And she sort of thought for a minute and then she went, no, I actually really like that. I think that's a good thing because you can focus on grieving for the baby you carried and that's not affecting your IPs and Sienna. Um, you know, you're not actually grieving over Sienna. I think it's actually a really healthy thing to be able to do. So even though she hadn't come across it before, um, yeah, that was, so she kept on telling me I was okay. So I never was at the point of going, I never thought I was falling into postpartum depression or anything like that because I kept on being assured that what I was going through was normal for a surrogate post birth. And then I started reaching out to other surrogates and, um, you know, surrogates who I really looked up to who had sort of had their journey sort of in the year before me and hearing their experiences and that they too had similar feelings when I'd only ever heard about how wonderful it felt, but actually speaking to really experienced surrogates, um, you know, surrogates that are really well known in the community and them saying, yeah, I felt the same. I cried for six weeks. I felt... Um, I felt completely lost. I felt that, you know, that my IP's world is just, you know, they've been given the world and I ended up with nothing. Um, you know, it was actually really comforting to hear those things and go, okay, I'm not actually going crazy and it will be okay. Cause everyone kept on telling me, even those surrogates that had those thoughts, they kept on saying, it takes time. It takes, you know, three to six months. You really can't expect to feel back to normal for at least sort of three to six months, like just give it time. You have to just go through these stages. Um, and I also develop, we have a, we've done all this prep and we have a really, really strong team. And I think I talked about this in the last podcast that um, we had done all this prep and it was me that would get um, anxious during the pregnancy that our team was going to break down or that something was going to happen. And again, post-pregnancy, it was me feeling anxious about um, what was going to happen. And, and I couldn't talk about it. My, I know my intended parents knew that there were things going on because my husband was sort of drip feeding them things. And I was asking to see the counsellor. Um, and I, I'm sure they were, I think they, I know they would have loved me to have been able to open up to them, but I just couldn't at that stage because I really couldn't understand what I was feeling. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to upset them. I didn't want to um, disappoint them. Um, I didn't want them to be concerned or to feel guilty. Uh, I, you know, I, I just, 
And I wasn't really sure there was anything they could really do. It was just something I had to go through. But I also, you know, sort of started to develop these anxieties over, well, my job's done now and they can just take the baby and run. And I, so I had this, this real sort of anxiety over, do they just want to be my friend because I was giving them a baby? And I know, I know in my, when I'm, I know in my heart of hearts, that's not true. They actually are our really good friends and they want to be friends with me because of who I am, not because of what I did for them. But all these sort of insecurities start with all the hormones and stuff and you grieving and whatever, you start thinking, why, why, you know, what, what is making them hang around? Like they could just take the baby and run and I'll never see the baby again. And even though I don't think she's my baby, I still care for her. Um, you know, I still want to make sure she's okay. Um, so, so yeah, so I started to get all these insecurities and, and, um, it was interesting because for the first five weeks, I actually, um, expressed milk for, for Sienna. And that was still, for me, it was like, that. I still had that link with her. She was still dependent on me for something, even though she was on formula too, but that was kind of my link. And, um, at about sort of five weeks postpartum, my husband went away and I had the kids on my own and I was trying to pump and look after the kids and it just got all too much. And I, and I was like, I have to stop. I can't continue doing this. Um, I was driving the milk down to the we'll meeting Goulburn. So it's about two hours South of Sydney um, to drop it off every couple of weeks. And I had to, had to stop. And um, I did, and it was, I weaned okay, but it was really, it was interesting. The emotional roller coaster I went on after that, all of a sudden, I had, I thought I was starting to be, do a bit better emotionally, but all of a sudden all these insecurities came back. And I think it was that cutting off that final tie with Sienna and no longer, her no longer getting anything from me was like, okay, now they really don't need me anymore. <laughs> like I'm not even like giving milk to her. So um, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really hard. And cause as I said, I knew in my heart of hearts, I knew that, that, they want, you know, they wouldn't do that. They would never do that. Um, and, and what but, I find really fascinating about hearing you talk about this, because you're five months postpartum and I'm now 12 yes. months postpartum, and everything that you've just talked about, I experienced too. And, you know, we're friends on Facebook, we're in groups together, and we haven't, we've had some conversations, but I think when you're going through it, it is really hard to articulate how you're feeling. So when somebody else is going through it, they don't, they don't remember anyone talking about it feeling like that because it's yeah. so hard to articulate it without worrying that maybe you're going mad and you're the only person that feels like that. But also those feelings of, um, for example, when you wean the baby, that means well, wean off your milk, that means they don't need you anymore. Well, I felt that too, but who was, there was no guidebook for me to say, and next you will feel this and the week after you'll feel that because each, yeah. each is different, but also, we're quite unique. There's only, you know, so many surrogates in Australia that could actually um, bond over that and say, yes, I also experienced that. I just yeah. find it really fascinating that we've actually had very similar experiences um, and both thought, oh, well, mine's very unique, unique and yeah. nobody else is feeling this when actually yeah. we're doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you were definitely one of the surrogates I reached out to. And I kind of, I thought our, I thought our experience would be different because I'm a gestational surrogate and you're a traditional surrogate. And I just thought, it would be um, different. It would be different because I'm not genetically related to Sienna. Um, interestingly, I did after I immediately after I went her in that week. 
I remember having this really strong urge or feeling that I wished I was a traditional surrogate, that I wished I still had that genetic link to her because it was sort of, I would still have a link. So yeah, it was, it was really, and I, mean, I don't feel that way now, but yeah, it was just, it's weird how you, it's weird how your mind works when you're under stress and the way your mind tries to cope with that stress, even though you may not feel like outwardly, you may not look stressed, but internally you're very stressed. And, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with my counsellor over this and it's been absolutely fascinating for her to explain to me that the reason why I can't keep a thought in my head or back then couldn't keep a thought in my head or that I wasn't remembering things is that your subconscious is spending so much time trying to sort of work out exactly what is going on and trying to process that because, you know, having a baby, regardless of if it's yours or not, and then giving it to another person or couple to raise is going completely against nature and everything your body expects, you're doing the opposite. So, you know, she was explaining to me that your subconscious is processing what is spending so much time processing that it's just throwing out anything it doesn't need. So someone telling you that they live a street away from you, you don't need to know that. So it, you don't remember it. So it was really fascinating to talk to my counselor about it and to her to actually say it's yeah you know you're processing even though you don't you're not thinking about it necessarily subconsciously you're constantly processing it um yeah and it's just and the thoughts that come up uh you know i would say um and i haven't told my ips this and so they'll probably hear this for the first time <laughs> um but you know you sometimes feel negative thoughts towards your ips and not it's not their fault at all like they haven't done anything wrong but you're so you will sometimes get these negative thoughts and um and you can get them i'm not just talking about ips again about it about your partner you know you'll have negative thoughts and um you know something that my counselor sort of said to me because i i was having a session with her one day and i'm like i've been having like i feel i've been having these thoughts and you know this is not me i'm not a nasty person i really hate myself for having these thoughts um and you know she sort of said to me well you can't help that that is completely normal that uh, everyone even the most um generous person or the most altruistic person will have negative thoughts about people from time to time and and you that's your subconscious basically um, pushing these thoughts up into your conscious and but you you have no control over them and what you you know and what she sort of said to me but you need to acknowledge them and go okay i acknowledge i'm having that thought i can understand why i'm having that thought or try and understand why you're having that thought but don't dwell on the thought and it doesn't make you a bad person and she sort of said acknowledge them but don't invite them in for a cup of tea so you know don't dwell on them and don't go don't sort of start getting yes you know i do blame them whatever um so yeah so it's really it was really interesting that it's okay to have these thoughts certainly i felt it and i know other surrogates have felt it that after you've given the baby to the intended parents they've got this beautiful new baby that they're now celebrating with their family and friends and you've got a postpartum belly and 
you know, for me, it was also my hair falling out and, you know, <laughs> body you don't really recognize. And sometimes, you know, you might have the bad side of postpartum um, symptoms that, you know, whatever it might be, you may end up back in hospital or on medication or whatever it is. And it's sometimes hard not to fall into that rut of thinking about the sort of resentful feelings towards your intended yeah. parents. They got the baby and I got the postpartum belly and it's all very unfair. And, you know, they just seem to be living it up with their baby and I'm the one struggling. And I think that's really interesting. Like what she says is that, yeah, you really shouldn't, you can acknowledge the thought, but don't fester on it and don't think yeah. too much on it. It's normal. It's completely yeah. normal. And so, one, yeah, once we had that conversation, I was like, okay, because I was starting to, you know, again, that was something else that I was starting to sort of dwell on and going, why am I having, because I don't, I don't believe that these thoughts are actually reality. Mm. Um, but yeah, so it was just really good. And that, yeah, that was really good to hear. Okay, you know, you will have them. They're completely normal. Everyone has them, but don't dwell on them. Mm. Um, and so that really helped me. And um, I wonder yeah, if surrogates as a group must be the, the most introspective group of women out there because we think about this stuff so deeply and because we have to and because we have to access counselling along the way that we probably dwell on this stuff because we're always overthinking things and trying to oh. analyse how we feel about the whole process. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think out of our team of my, my partner my intended father, my intended mother and me, I have the most, I'm the person who overthinks things. I'm the one that sort of um, gets anxious about things. You know, every, the other, thank goodness, my other three team members are all like, everything's fine. Everything will be fine. And yeah. And so, you know, always trying to ground, particularly my husband will ground me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I've been really fortunate that, well, I'm fortunate that they're all sort of, grounded and, and not worried about anything it's just me I've just got to deal with myself <laughs> so, so uh, that you're now five months postpartum and so perhaps I would I would take a guess you've still got a few more months of processing and finding the new normal yeah. would you change anything if you had your time over would you change anything about how you prepared for your journey or anything that you did during the journey um I yeah I guess there's I guess um, nothing too major. I think looking back, even though it was, I mean, any surrogacy journey, I think even the most perfect journey is challenging. And I, I really, I think for most surrogates, their, sur their surrogacy journeys will be more challenging than their, their own pregnancies because um, throw another couple into the mix and you, you do. You, you're now thinking about your partner, if you've got a partner, plus your IPs. Um, would I do anything differently? I think I wish, um, in hindsight, I wish we had discussed counselling more. So um, I have a very good relationship with my counsellor. I, I was talking to my counsellor for about a year before I was pregnant. So for oh, six to nine months before I even offered to my IPs. So she's known me from the beginning of my journey. So she's actually, yeah, seen me the whole journey. Um, and I think in hindsight, I would have liked to have said up front, um, I want regular counselling during the pregnancy and post-pregnancy, not just if I felt I needed it. Um, you know, 
I think a lot of people sort of you, you have counselling when there's a problem. I think uh, a journey will run smoother if you have like tune-ups, like your car. You don't always send your car to a mechanic when there's a problem. You usually have, you know, six monthly checkups. Um, so I did, I had counselling sessions each trimester. I think I had about one a trimester. But it was sort of, it was always, I felt that I was having, and I didn't, I sent my, my husband to do it because I felt horrible asking for things, but always feeling like I had to somehow justify why I wanted a session. And I think in hindsight, if I was to do this again, I would sort of be saying, look, we're going to prepare for a session each trimester um, and say a session each month post-birth for the first three months or whatever. Because I kind of always, I felt guilty about about that. I felt guilty that I, um, I felt, particularly post-birth, I felt guilty that I was talking to the counsellor about things I was going through and not talking to my IPs. But I actually, I couldn't talk to my IPs because I didn't really understand why I was going through what I was going through. And I needed someone to be able to say, this is why you're going through what you're going through. And while my IPs could have said, you know, we support you and we appreciate everything you've done, they actually wouldn't have been able to give me the answers about whether what I was going through was right or wrong. Because I don't, if I hadn't had any counselling, I think I would have been a lot more concerned about my emotions post-birth and, um, you know, worried that why am I grieving this baby, not the baby that is here, but why am I grieving this baby? And that's not normal. Like that, that can't be normal. Like I'm a surrogate. Like I don't want the baby. I, I don't want to be raising the baby that I carried. So why am I grieving it? But what grieving for it? But um, my counsel was able to sort of explain that. So yeah, if I did anything differently, it would definitely be sort of putting in writing stone, I guess, that there would be regular counseling sessions. Um, I think that's great advice. I think, sorry, their counsellors are really good also at being a buffer, that that can be yes. the person that you, like you say, that you rant at and you tell them all your thoughts, no matter how strange they may seem. Yeah, so I don't, I certainly, I don't regret for a second being a surrogate. It was hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. Absolutely the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, but it's also extremely rewarding and um, I'll be able to watch Sienna grow and, and um, yeah, you know, and who knows, I might get those warm and fuzzies. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not recognising them yet. I don't know. Maybe. So, Thank you, yeah. Rani. That was, that was really insightful. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram and at sarahjefford.com.